0: Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is part four in our series on Ronald D. Moore as a showrunner, where we will look at his third show, Battlestar Galactica. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are joined by Brandon. Hello. How's it going, Brandon?
2: I'm okay. Yourself?
1: I'm doing okay. Brandon is the third host on our show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, which you can find over on our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com so so brandon yes. uh what are your uh your your thoughts on Star trek in general? Are you a fan
2: i'm a fan i'm not a uh it's a thing that I watched growing up. It's a thing i enjoyed i kind of um when I was a kid of course we were about the same age all three of us um the uh next generation was on the air. On uh, in Chicago, it was was, a UHF, whatever channel that was back in the day.
1: WPWR Power Fifty, exactly.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like when I moved to the Chicago area, that was on. So I watched it, Um, and then um, the reruns of the old show were on. As a kid, Um, I was never a huge Star Trek fan, but I you know enjoyed it uh, for what it was, and then later in life actually within a couple of years, uh, I watched the entire run of uh DS nine on uh Netflix. I haven't really made the effort I've watched the first few episodes of the original series and I watched a few episodes of Next Gen. Yeah, I've I enjoy Deep Space Nine a lot more as a show than I do the other series for various reasons. Mainly because it's one thing one sh- one cohe- fairly cohesive story um as opposed to more serialized shows um and it's actually pretty similar to uh BSG which I guess we'll be talking about yeah as well
1: well well let's get into to Battlestar Galactica then uh this show debuted one week after Carnival's first season ended Um, It was on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's based on the 1978 television series by the same name, which was created by Glenn A. Larson. The premise of this show is basically the same as the basic premise of the original series, but it's much darker and more realistic than that one was. The premise of of Battlestar Galactica is that...
2: I'm
0: sorry. What is the premise of the original show? there are 12 colonies they are attacked by Cylons and the entire human race is wiped out and then there's a whole bunch of people from those colonies that survive in a ragtag fleet trying to escape the Cylons and find the last lost 13 colony called Earth.
1: Okay. So, basically the same as what we have now. Okay. The The new series was developed by Moore himself and uh, he he ran the entire series from beginning to end. So it's very much, very much his baby. So, Brandon, what are your thoughts on Battlestar Galactica?
2: It still holds up as one of the uh, better shows, especially better sci-fi shows of the last ten years or so, I guess. It definitely had issues, but it's still pretty tight, and it was compelling, and it's kind of stuck to, with a few exceptions, it stuck to the premise of the show from the beginning, and carried that out throughout to the end, which is admirable i think
1: all right what about you max what are your thoughts on ballastar galactica
0: it was a massive staggering sort of monolithic thing that represented quality writing and really well-made science fiction for television that was actually very impressive for a lot of different things but also not perfect and it's very easy for me to focus on the imperfections but Much more important than that is that it was a very good companion for the rest of TV, and it made almost everything else look stupid by comparison.
1: All right, fair enough. I basically can't overstate how much I love this show. I think that uh, it is the best show that Ron Moore has done. I think it's the best show that I've ever seen. And I also think that it is the best piece of work by any Star Trek creator that's ever been made that I've ever seen. So I'm a fan.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I think that the thing that kind of really struck me uh, when I was first watching it was how all of the pieces complement each other perfectly in order to support this wonderful writing, you know, And in, in the case of the miniseries, you know, that, that Moore did himself, and uh, you know, it, it really felt, I mean, you hear this all the time, but, you know, it felt not like a TV show, but like a movie. The production design, the photography, the sound design is the, one of the things that really blew me away, and the music. It, it, it felt like, uh, instead of, you know, having like a kind of plug-and-play formula from a production standpoint, which you often see in th- Well, all shows, but I mean like Star Trek. You you can totally see that, especially in the Next Generation era. It felt like each episode had maybe not a unique quality, but a quality which was entirely appropriate to whatever it was that it was um, trying to do. I'm and sorry, Mike. What do you mean by plug-and-play? I mean, if you think about like uh, the style of a show, okay? No matter who's directing it or anything like that, every episode of a particular show looks a particular way.
0: You know how on the animated series, the Star Trek animated series, like there were like like six different cells? Okay, well, they, they didn't have... I'm shaking my head. They didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of animation to right. work from, but they were still able to tell the exact same kind of stories that the live-action show did. Because the live-action show followed such a strict format of Kirk's on the bridge. Chekhov says, there's something on the sensors. I think it's like a goat with, uh, like crazy like glowing laser eyes and then they're like oh man I bet it's an alien and like all of the resources necessary in order to tell that story were there last week and the week before that and the week before that.
2: So are you you just referring to the sets that are used? No No, like just
0: everything from like camera angles from actors from from the sort of situations that a given scene would be in, how an episode started, like what sort of like scene would be the point where the, the story turns. It's almost always a guy looking at another thing Thing, talking
2: so the way that the the show tells its story yeah
1: basically. the way the show tells its story is sort of the formula of the show you know the the way that the the direction is handled so, everything
2: so basically what you're saying is despite i mean obviously they use the same sets over and over but mm-hmm.
1: the way they compose
2: the shots the way they, they compose, compose the shots
1: but also the way that the the episodes were written you know there were times where that show would Go off into uh, directions that had never been explored before. You know, there's what I mean. One season opened, you know, with four episodes that took place on the surface of a planet. You know, some but more
0: than that, like they, they, like there were radically different types of stories. Yeah, and radically different ways of doing those stories. Like, like the way information was conveyed to the audience varied depending on the the requirements of the story, and the stories were like forced. To be more unusual, to be different than the previous ones, to never rehash anything, even the even the space combat scenes, they never did the same thing twice because they didn't want to ever end up in that doing formula kind of process
1: and I mean I, I think the thing that they they really tried to do, the thing that that kind of set it apart is where the original show was really designed as like a space adventure and perhaps a uh modern day sci-fi take on Mormonism, Mormonism. but with the the new series it, it really tried uh to to delve much deeper into the social commentary you know in a lot of ways i think it was an excellent portrayal of post 9-11 world and I think it touched on um, a lot of aspects of our society by looking at them in this you know science fiction um, universe which is obviously something which you know science fiction is designed to do that's something that Star Trek is is built on and Battlestar Galactica I think does it just as well as as anything else
0: well there's there's an interesting side to that which is that uh, like A show like Star Trek, uh, I think Ron Moore certainly learned something about social commentary from Star Trek, and it might not have been a good lesson. Because when he got to BSG, there there were situations where the story required uh, looking at the social implications of making a particular statement. I'm thinking primarily of the one where... Uh, abortion is on the table and and the question is like how does this culture that is on the brink of extinction deal with this question of abortion and and he thought ultimately these characters are going to make the the slight moral compromise of taking away someone's freedom to have an abortion because the, the survival of the civilization kind of requires some people to get pregnant who don't want to be pregnant and some kids are going to have to be born who might not be desperately wanted but we just need as many people as possible or we're all going to be dead and and on star trek they would have never made that compromise because they like they had to end with like the point of view that 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 they felt was right and on bsg he said like the the point of view that i think is right is not important the the point of view that makes sense for this story is important and that is actually a much more deep and interconnected and layered like moral response and ethical argument than simply compromising your story in order to justify your argument, which I mean we did an episode a couple of weeks ago about an episode of Deep Space Nine, which compromises the logic of its argument and ends up hurting the argument because of that. And by taking on the issues and the counter issues, honestly, they actually resulted in something that made a much more deep and intricate statement about a social issue than they would have had they been in any way concerned about how people would think of it.
1: And that's one of the things that makes this show stand apart from others, and one of the things that makes Moore stand apart from others is that he's really, really good at uh, walking that line. And uh, using it to to you know get his, his whatever point he's trying to make across effectively, uh, even if it, it it seems like he might be moving into a different direction with that argument. Well, I mean, but ultimately they're two different shows. Like
2: Star Trek is your utopian future, where you in a lot of ways you can talk about certain things, but I think you are and a lot of ways limited into how you can resolve those issues but, I but would,
0: like not ahead. not just like the context of the series not just like the reality of it but the way criticism of a social commentary issue was handled on it sure. and and on in star trek for a long time it was handled by not sure. allowing such criticism and and that was detrimental to its utopian vision because its utopian vision had no criticism. And without any criticism, it had no means to actually support a plausibility argument for itself. So the more you don't criticize that utopia, the more ridiculous that utopia looks. And by being honest about like your utopia or your dystopia or your intended future, you can actually result in a much more nuanced and plausible argument even if it means like putting your hope for a pretend, potential future on the firing line and see how it stands up to criticism.
1: Let's just go back and take a look at, at, at how this series compares to the original series. Now, I know, Max, you've seen the original. Brandon, have well, you? Well, I was a kid.
2: Okay, all right.
1: <laughs> have, you, have you seen it, Brandon?
2: I uh, watched the first couple, maybe the first episode when it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was kind of awful. I couldn't get... To, I think I finished the first episode. I was like, eh. Yeah, I've, I've, I've
1: been sort of... Well, I was trying to force myself into watching the whole thing, and I, I got about halfway through it, and then it went off of Netflix, and I'm like, oh, darn. It's back but, now. I know, it's back now. So I, I want to finish it up, because more than anything, I'm curious about what they do with Galactica 1980, which was the um, spin off show, which happened a year after uh, well, uh, the, the original was on. You say spin-off it really was, it was on an altered version of it
0: yeah really um, really it's it's the um, it's like what happened with Airwolf where like their budget was cut like by 90% and they then cheated for the remainder of the lifespan of the show yeah. desperately trying to just keep doing something no matter how ridiculously stupid and cheap looking it became
1: i mean for those who don't know the original Battlestar galactica was on for one season and at the end of the season it was canceled but in its place they started up a show called galactica 1980 which was basically the crew of the galactica on earth in the present day
0: yeah i mean like it is it is Explained in the story, like right. the story does say, like, well, they arrived, mm-hmm. and it's present day, yeah. but they're in hiding because they got, they've got spaceships and Cylons right. are on their tail, so they used various. Oh, so
2: <laughs> there's these evil robots that are gonna that are following them. Yeah, but they they're not gonna tell anyone.
0: <laughs> well, no, they tell some people. It's it's actually oddly enough, it feels at times very similar to the way the Transformers interacted with humans. Like the Autobots have the Ark, and and the Colonials have the Galactica, and like they're both hi- in hiding, and they're both interacting with people and dealing with problems. It's very stupid. It is very stupid. But like there is something kind of like endearing about a show doing whatever oh. it can to stay alive.
1: So moving on to uh, how this show ties into Star Trek, uh, I, I think it's interesting uh, the influence that. That you can see on this show from Star Trek, obviously the fact that Ron Moore had gotten his start on Star Trek and worked there for a number of years prior to uh doing Battlestar Galactica just naturally is going to have some sort of influence, but uh kind of what we've talked about before about uh you know making it um uh, about the present, about you know, issues going on in, in our current society, even if it is in uh a a far off uh galaxy or something, whatever it is. What do you mean? That's interesting. Well I mean just the idea of I mean like what Roddenberry ha- has has talked about, you know, from the beginning. Well Star
0: Trek know? was certainly like always about a present day issue.
1: Exactly. In some way. But PSG certainly isn't. I would totally disagree with that.
0: No, I mean it. It res- it deals with things that are relevant, but it departs from them just as conveniently. It, whenever it whenever it makes sense to, they they follow the story rather than than the 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 social real world implications. And like, they certainly barely ever
1: take a particular position on something. Maybe that's true. Maybe they don't take a particular issue on something. But I think just the way that they present these issues make you think about them and make you maybe uh, come up with your own uh, uh, decisions about them or or at least get you to uh, consider them. They
0: were saying, we are telling stories about things that are are relevant and political and complicated and difficult to deal with. We're making difficult scenarios. And the most difficult scenarios are the ones that we we have never figured out an answer for. Well, yeah, I mean,
2: like, they are making analogies to things that are either happening or have recently happened. Yeah. So there aren't answers to those
0: Yeah, they were questions. intentionally not trying to talk about the real world. They were using the real world as resources for difficult stories, difficult conflicts and, and challenges that didn't have obvious res- results. And by dealing with them in an honest way in their fictional environment, they were not saying this episode is about this real world thing because I'm not saying that's like a question of it being on the nose or not. I'm saying that this is not even an issue of it being on the nose or a one-to-one correlation. It's a complete inversion of that principle. They are not talking about the real world. The real world is where they got the ideas for this fake one. Obviously
2: the the 9-11 thing is the kind of the frame of the the show, but like, if it were to parallel what happened with the U.S., obviously we would have invaded whatever Cylon country or whatever. Yeah, and of course that would have been the wrong place. We wouldn't have found
0: yeah
2: WMDs, whatever, whatever. Currents like, I would
0: have been holding up like a little, like a, like, like sample, like a vial of like of, of some kind of Cylon toxin, and the corners would be cut off, and he'd talk about how we got to invade, otherwise we would all be killed. Yeah, I mean,
2: like but it, 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 again, I guess the point is, it's not about necessarily mirroring what's happening it's mirroring it's mirroring kind of key moments as opposed to kind of trying to be accurate the whole show is about how we felt after nine eleven, uh, and it's about the going from feeling secure to being insecure um, and obviously like the show they have the whole thing where they're ceaselessly chased by the their enemy which is a totally different
0: thing but it's still but it's informed by that sense of paranoia, right. by that sense of like existential panic of right. not knowing what your enemy is right. or why they hate you. Which is why
2: they made at least I would say is why they made the Cylons human. Because it's easy to if it's just a robot, then of course you can well, be a robot.
0: Because our because our culture doesn't respond to To faceless, like, pointlessly, cartoonishly evil enemies anymore because, essentially, we don't believe in them. Yeah. Like, we we don't believe that there is such a thing as, like, a a giant, purely malevolent force.
1: So, Brandon, any uh, final thoughts on Battlestar Galactica?
2: There are so many other things I wanted to say. Um, I would say that...
0: No, I wouldn't say that. Never mind. It's a good show. I would say that.
1: He would say that. What about you, Max? Any final thoughts?
0: Well, aside from the thing that Brandon didn't say that I said.
1: <laughs> what I was going to say was, <laughs> it's, it's like he
2: learned what not to do and what to do via Star Trek. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the perfect, it's not Star Trek, obviously, but it's kind of the uh, distillation of that show in a lot of ways, especially DS9. Mm-hmm. Um, still a lot with very similar issues.
0: I agree with the idea that he learned what to do and what not to do from Star Trek. And I think in, in a very weird way, a lot of the great things about BSG were informed by doing the opposite of Star Trek. And essentially all of BSG's problems were defined by doing the opposite of Star Trek. Because if you read the show bible, it really feels like a guy desperately trying to not do anything like Star Trek. I Which is really weird because like
2: like I said, there are a lot of really similar things that happens between DS yeah. D Space Nine and BSG.
0: Yeah, but there were there was this. There's a weird sort of aspect of that of that of that show bible, and like I think that's sort of a weird thing that that happens in certain points in, in, in cultural artistic trends where. Uh, it was essentially defined by what it wasn't. It made a lot of points about not being X and not being Y and not being Z. And, and at the end of the day, it was really hard to tell you what it was. What letters the hell were BSG? Uh, it, it, it told you all the letters it wasn't, but it didn't really say what it was. So it certainly was BS and G, but um, I don't even know what the the B and the S stand for. But I think we can all guess. But you know that's sort of a that's sort of a problem for the show. But it's also where the show got most of its strengths. So it's a it's a it's a tricky little situation that, that they that they had going on there.
1: Well, I I agree with both of uh, what you guys have to say. Um, I, just to add to that, I guess I would say looking at it, you know, on its own terms, I, I do think that it's it's my favorite show of all time and the the miniseries really did a great job of of grabbing my attention and and holding it for for a very long time and while the the series itself has its ups and downs i think even at its lowest points it's still uh, much higher than than your average television show and when it's working it is uh some of the most riveting anything i've ever seen And to bring it back to Star Trek, you know, when I was watching Star Trek, particularly say Deep Space Nine, and seeing what it was they were doing with that show, I I loved what it was they were doing, and I wished that they would push that even further. And 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 by doing that, you know, from a a structural standpoint, you know, like with continuing storylines and whatever.
0: So you want uh, like like as much continuity in in, as as much continuity,
1: and then also you know like the willingness to sort of like really go into deep, dark places when you need to and stuff like that, really just sort of like take this as seriously as possible. Yeah. And I think I think when you do that, what you get is Battlestar Galactica.
0: Yeah, so like not, not shy away from the TV-14. Right. So just go for it and right. maybe even go all the way as far as you can. Right. Because you know, whatever it's a sci-fi show where people die every
1: week. Yeah,
0: you know, let's let's stop pretending this is a kids show.
1: Yeah. So, Brandon, <laughs> as, as someone who's uh, not a, a Star Trek fan, um,
0: I—that's
2: I, not what I said.
1: Okay. If okay. you were—if you should let me played. rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. There's a lot of sh- shows on Trek FM for you to choose from, Brandon. If you're interested in learning more about Deep Space Nine, you could listen to the Orb. If you're interested in learning more about. Uh, the the books and the comic books you can listen to literary treks if you if you want to if you want to listen to the prime show where you get like star trek overall you could listen to the ready room if you want to listen to that but with a british accent you could listen to trek news and views so there's 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 a, a ton of shows mm-hmm. for you to choose from and i know that the decision <laughs> of what to listen to can be really hard well here here's a clip of all the shows that we have on trek fm and you can pick the one which seems most interesting to you. So take a listen to this.
2: Previously on Trek.fm,
0: The Orb. Whoa! I think Cisco and Ducat, you know, in the best tradition of any kind of good writing, you know, the villain is a mirror, flipped mirror image of the hero, and that, you know, that's for Kirk and Khan and, and a whole bunch of great Star Trek. So, you know, you get Cisco and Ducat, and they have a lot in common with each other. Earl Grey. Why? Because he's larger than life for ninety percent of the show. He is the captain. Okay, like I'm gonna ruffle some feathers right now. I'm just letting you guys know this is gonna be controversial. But he is the captain
1: that Cisco and Janeway wished they were. The Ready Room. The Voyager Voyager Conspiracy. conspiracy. Now, Daniel and I were talking about this in a a prior podcast about the uh, the '80s moment, and so I, I can see seven coming up in this episode. I'd try to download too much information in your heads. <laughs> try not to study too much in school. <laughs> try to diverse yourselves. Play with your friends. Go see your family.
0: <laughs> information, too, can be a drug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just say no, kids. <laughs> to the journey! Voyager's Funniest Moments
2: They're seeing Sandrines for the first time, and you see that pool shark guy who is such a chauvinist pig jerk who says something to the effect to of something like treat a lady like a tramp and a tramp like a lady it works every time and she says <laughs> paris did you program this guy and he's like yo yeah, why she said he's a pig and so are you commentary trek stars carnival
0: but they are also dealing with essentially general supernatural metaphysical concepts that are not limited to Christianity. So implying that there's a heaven and a hell in this I think is limiting because the show very clearly states that they are not playing by any simple rule book. Warp 5. Archer, and
1: In and of itself, that doesn't make it the correct one. I mean, you could argue whether there is even such a thing as... An absolute moral position that is, is a moral position in itself to say that we have moral absolutism versus moral relativism and the federation adopts a moral relativist position
2: Trek news and views
0: Andorians I don't think Shatner would have said make sure one of them's an Andorian <laughs> <laughs> No, his special effects would have been they all have to look like me yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Literary treks
1: Ongoing twenty five, the Guinmer conflict begins, and then you get to this starbase where Kirk and his crew are about to embark on their five year mission. They're they're eventually going to go on this mission. Right? Yeah, eventually it, it'll <laughs> One happen. Of these days um, they're going to go. It, <laughs> uh, it does kind of make me wonder if they if they're stalling because they they're stalling. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they're stalling because of the film.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
1: So check out these shows. You can get a new one every single day. And uh, we offer them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. Or you can stream them uh, or download them from, from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So, so Brandon, where can people find you?
2: Um... They, they shouldn't find me.
1: They shouldn't find you. Shouldn't well, be. if you want to find him, you can go over to commentary. <laughs> <laughs> you can go over to our website, Commentary i phone. I'll get his current GPS coordinates. <laughs> well, if you want to find Brandon, you can find him with us on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary track off-topic each and every week. Although not this week, or the next week, or the week after, but each in and like every a week, month. except for the ones <laughs>
0: where we don't.
1: <laughs> But he will be back along with us on Off Topic as soon as we start up Off Topic again. And uh, that's where you can find us, too. Or you can tweet us at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. And we will be back with Brandon next week to talk about Ron Moore's fourth show, Caprica.